Welcome back to the Talk Podcast with me, Jay Deakin. So, welcome back to the podcast for the start of Series 3. I'm going to continue interviewing guests for this series and I'm delighted to have Shana Begum join me today for the first one. Uh, Shana is a domestic abuse survivor and campaigner and is also the founder of St. Ellen's The Best Me CIC. So, welcome to the show, Shana. Oh, thank you so much, um, Jay. It's always a pleasure to be doing this sort of thing for the community. So, so absolutely. Yeah, it's, thanks. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. Um, just before I get started, um, where can the listeners find you on social media? Yeah, so social media, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Insta as well. I'm on Instagram as well. So if you follow anything that says St. Helens, the best me CIC, we're on www.stheliensbestmecic as well. So just you can find us on the internet as well. So my Twitter account, I think, is at coaching84. But just Google my name, Shana Begum. My family's there. There's a picture of me and my family. So yeah, give us a like, give us a click. Um, and yeah, let's get connected. Yeah, I'll put it in the de- episode description anyway. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Jay. Yeah, uh, it's great to have you on. Um, I know we spoke to you before. Uh, so just getting started. Um, I'm sure not like want to go back to sort of when you was forced into like an honour marriage when you was like 17 and sort of like the build up before that, like how was your childhood growing up? Yeah. So, yeah, so we were all born in London. So it was East London. So I was raised in East London. My dad and mom came from Bangladesh. So after the Second World War, um, there was a calling for people to come and rebuild the country. My father was one of them and eventually got married to my mom. And she was a village lady from Bangladesh and she was brought over to this country and six kids were born in London. Some of us were born in Manchester, but most of us were born in London. So being raised up with a family who have a sort of South Asian, a different culture, let's just call it a different culture, different belief systems. And we were completely British. so we were western westernized and that was conflicting as it as it is you know my dad he had he my dad he had his own shop but he's you know send a lot of money abroad it's called remittance when you have to support the family abroad so as the eldest son of that family he had a lot of pressure and what he did, he had a lot of expectations of my mum to raise six children. So in reality, she was a single mum. So the dynamics of the family, you know, there was a lot of instability. My dad was very abusive. There was a lot of domestic abuse within the family setting. Dad used to, for instance, but as and we were, it was a really sort of we were like feral creatures. Honestly, it was madness within the family. So, some of you guys might know this terminology called adverse childhood experience and trauma. So I've had, I was brought up in all of that, you know, and it was really difficult at school, primary school stage, stage, you know, primary school days. I was very, very timid. I was a quiet kid. 
you know you could see a neglected quiet kid secondary school that's when I kind of flourished a bit well if you could call it flourishing but actually I got involved in gangs and I I had a purpose you know I felt like you know I understood my family I had my family home but I didn't like being there but when it came to getting involved in gangs I felt I belonged I had a purpose I was respected so I could understand why people get involved in gangs when they're going through adolescence time so anyway after that got into a bad crowd father found out that you know we're talking drugs smoking all sorts of stuff um standard stuff when you get home you get a good beating um so eventually my dad thought right my dad pretty much picked everything from what I wore to how I behaved and very it was really sorry very strict sort of thing yeah absolutely so strict so on the outside Jay we looked like the perfect family on the block we looked like the absolute perfect family on the block nobody would actually even think we have any sort of domestic abuse within the family other families used to comment oh why couldn't you be like you know my dad was called Arashali Arashali's family you know so on the outskirts we looked absolutely fantastic but what the abuse that was happening within the home was something else and me as a child trying to belong trying to connect with people got into the wrong crowd you know as as you can imagine happens to a lot of kid who kids who have experienced domestic abuse in the family unit so with that come you know my dad even going into college my I didn't get good GCSE grades but still my dad tried to get me into college so long as he can control what I study but that didn't go very well and then he shipped me abroad you know he coerced me to go in, going abroad he said it'll only be for a little while go with your uncles and your auntie and these two people I've never met in my entire life but apparently they were my uncle and auntie so eventually they got me on a plane I went abroad and that was it I was in a village no phones remember there was no technology in this village no electricity wow. I was completely abandoned in this it was like a mud hut you know through with cows and chickens and ducks honestly it was so surreal when, you when have to bathe in the lake and this was in 2000 2001 yeah and my they wouldn't let me come back to this country they took my passports off remember in bangladesh women's rights we don't even have rights in that country and i was just abandoned until my father said you will get married so i had to get married to this other person so you know i was forced into a marriage to this older man and it was I hated it, you know, but eventually I was let back into this country. So their vision was I would get a job, get this um, husband back into this country and start a family. So that was their idea. But that's not what happened, because as soon as I landed back on UK soil, I thought freedom, you know, I'm back in the UK, you know, forget the marriage, forget everything else. And again, my father thought I was becoming too westernized once an Asian woman gets married she doesn't belong to her father anymore so so we women we are seen as objects so I wasn't part of my I wasn't owned by my father anymore I was actually owned by my husband's side 
So my brother-in-law, who was in this country, felt I was too westernized. And again, my father got very aggressive. He actually tried to murder me. Um, yeah. So I should really give a trigger warning about this as well beforehand in case anybody's traumatized by my story. I, I, I but anyway, my father tried to take my life. Yeah, yeah. So put that in the beginning. So people, try, my father tried to kill me, you know, strangle me. I remember that day, you know, actually wet myself. Wow. And, you know, when somebody's trying to strangle you and I was in my nighty as well and I ran out of the house and I was actually pregnant with my daughter and I didn't realize I didn't have any shoes on. And it was absolutely horrific. I can't remember it all because that's what your brain does to you you, yeah. you forget so eventually was rehoused in a place called Bolton didn't know it was domestic abuse again fell prey again to another abuser you know nine years down the road because nobody taught me about domestic abuse so not only was I prey once to honor base abuse and domestic abuse it happened to me again in when I came into this abusive relationship um, in 20, 2012 this time. And again, you know, they say about domestic abuse and victims, we become managers, experts in managing the abuse. We understand the abuser and we try our best to manage it. Don't get him angry. And, you know, you won't get hurt. To the point I was so brainwashed. I was so brainwashed, Jay. I developed a really bad eating disorder and it came back again. And that was my coping mechanism. And two more children came from that abusive relationship. It was, it was a horrible sort of horrific thing. But again, in Asian culture, similar to what men experience, actually, men can't express their emotions or it's not allowed. It's not tolerated. And Asian community we need to be mindful about what society thinks about us as well so we have to bottle all of this abuse up whatever's going on in the house it's a private matter so I couldn't even talk about it and in in the outside world it, it, it was probably a different picture to the people outside but nobody asked me that question are you okay what's happening in your house so eventually, you know, I, I built up the strength to leave that relationship. And that's when it gets the worst. That's the dangerous time in domestic abuse relationship. Again, still not realizing it's domestic abuse. I heard the terminology domestic violence and domestic abuse, but never fully understood the risk factors around that because obviously I'm managing. Yeah. Sorry. You didn't think that you was being like domestically abused? Or, like... Yeah. You know, the, the, there was lots of abuse in that relationship. Everything from, you know, drugging, raping. There was physical violence. There's lots of coercive control. He wouldn't let me go to work. So there's lots of abuse within what I've experienced. But never for a second did I question that it's domestic abuse. I never knew that. So again, there was a point where it was nearly night. Um, he, it was October the 13th when he cut my CCTV, front CCTV, back CCTV. Obviously I ended the relationship and yeah, he, he tried to murder, murder my entire family. And I didn't know I was oblivious to all of this and I thought the next morning why is nothing working for me obviously I installed this CCTV because of his behavior deteriorating yeah. Yeah. and for my own safety but eventually got to the point where we had to leave because when I once I saw him on that camera 
doing cutting my CCTV. That's when the penny dropped that I know I can't control this situation because yeah, because even with my father, I thought I could manage this. I you know nothing's happening to me. This is just the way life is. I actually normalized the abuse, and again with this abuser, this perpetrator, I again normalize the the abuse again without realizing and i only fled when it was life or death in 2018 but then when i entered the refuge the same you know this it was the same story that the refuge told me in 2001 you know don't worry you're a poor victim we'll help you you know your baby's your family now you don't need them you know that whole victim mentality that i am the victim and they tried to feed me that story again in 2018. And I thought, hang on a minute. You know, this last time I was the only victim. And obviously I had an unborn fetus inside me, an unborn child within me. Um, I could have, I could, it was easy for me to suck up that story of victimhood then. But when it's happened to you again, I thought, you know, excuse my French, but F that shit, you know, something's not That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I thought something's not right. You know, happening to you once is one thing. Happening to you second time, it's red flags. I thought, nope, something's not, not right. And this time, I'm not just responsible for myself, but other three innocent children as well. And I thought, we're not doing this again. I'm, I'm refused to be a victim. Something must be, there must be something more than this. You know, and then I did my own research around domestic abuse, you know, the cycle of domestic abuse, the types of domestic abuse and there was even though there was help available there was like a six months waiting list and I thought I can't do this I need help today I need help right now and all the refugees wanted to do the refugees for you know when I was in within the women refuge they thought oh what a lovely woman with three kids we'll keep her so they were thinking about their own benefit not really thinking yeah. about my transformation or my empowerment and it says internet unstable can you hear me yeah, I can still hear you. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, every you'll find these organizations who have their own agendas. You know, whatever your problem is, they'll have their own agendas, which I don't like. You know, wh why can't we just transform that person and look at the best interests of that person or that yeah. family? Yeah, absolutely. Empower them. Because yeah. the worst thing we want is that person to create a codependency with an organization. We don't want that. We want to empower that person so they can, you know, that saying, why give a, you know, person a fish when you can teach them how to, yeah. you know, fish, yeah. you know, so don't give them the fish, teach them yeah. how to how fish. To, got a so that's the life. same, same concept and same principle. Absolutely. And there's no codependency there. So yeah. then I moved to St. Helens and again, St. Helens um, were great because that's where my transformation happened in St. Helens. And I thought, you know, I need to show other people how it's done, that they don't have to be the victim, you know, get rid of that victim mentality. And as soon as I changed that victim mentality, this amazing person told me, Shana, you know, you're not a tree. You know, you can move. If, if we abused a tree, spat on a tree, hit a tree, that tree can't move, you know, it just has to tolerate the, the abuse. You're not an animal. So you don't have to constantly react to everything that's happening to you. You know, you're a human being. You've got this really thing called, you know, the frontal cord. That's what differentiates humans from animals. So you can actually choose to respond. 
And that word choose was absolutely amazing for me because throughout my life, I never had a choice. But I thought I never had a choice. Every choice was made for me through my very controlling father. And then it was very easy for me to fall prey to abusers because that nine years away from my family unit, um, I felt, I was naive. I felt in the predators could smell me a mile away so I was used and abused and then I met that abuser who who nearly put the final nail in the coffin but thankfully we got away you know we got away and I thought I don't want to be the victim anymore Jay I really am sick and tired of that victim story that wasn't working out for me and I had a choice and then I had to really make a declaration to myself it's either you continue being the pathetic victim and wait for services and other people to help you out or you can make a promise to yourself today and transform your life take control and I thought, absolutely 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 and do you know a formula for that the change formula that i talk about and that i do you know teach people on my my program called the best me program is there's a formula and it isn't just about you it's checking your environment who the hell is around you if you're around toxic people who are constantly trying to bring you down or if you're around nine bums absolutely you'll be number 10 you know if you're around you know nine addicts with no fault of their own because that's their coping mechanism then you will be number 10 if you're around nine alcoholics absolutely you'll be number 10 out of default you know so if you're around negative people with a very destructive mindset that's what you're going to be you know you're going to be number 10 out of default because that sort of stuff does rub off on you what, it's what so you to ch- your brain isn't it absolutely and you might think oh i'm not going to be influenced but you are because your mind your subconscious mind is you know it's absorbing all that information around you so changing my environment was key to my transformation and when i had there's no way i'm going to take all the credit for my transformation i had bloody amazing people around me you know i had my daughter again she thought that's not the mom i know because my daughter thought I was her hero, you know, because she was very protective most of her life. But when this abuser came into my life, she thought, oh, my God, what's happened to my mom? Because that's what they do. That's what perpetrators do, because they've got their own issues. They want to control you and they want to break you down. And slowly, slowly, they take away your autonomy, your individuality to the point that you're, you're... you're second guessing yourself to the point yeah. that they destroy you, that you have no freedom. And the stalking and harassment I went through is absolutely disgraceful. But again, when we look at the services, it's really difficult to evidence stalking, harassment, and even coercive control. But there was lots of that. So now, 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 now. So that was my a brief snippet of my story then. But the message I really want to send out to all the listeners is please, people are going to, or people around you are going to give you a belief from childhood and you are going to accept that belief. And that belief is you're not enough or there's something wrong with you or because you have an OCD or bipolar or schizophrenia or an eating disorder, whatever have you, that you are not enough or that you're damaged or you are broken let me tell you something, Jay, that's all nonsense. That's completely nonsense. You know, everybody is fighting a battle that we don't know about. 
because there's three pretty much three personalities we have we have the public person we have the public self so this is the self that i present to people there's the family you that only your family see and then there's the private you that only you know about you know your own little insecurities that only you know about so again you can exercise your choice and say, well, actually, if the public me is the best version of me, let me make a conscious effort to, you know, be the best, you know, and it has to be, so it happens, it comes from, stems from self-awareness. Why do I do this? And linking it back to maybe unresolved trauma in the past and trying to resolve that and not getting too fixated with the why and thinking about how do I become a better person? How do I get become a better Shana? You know, yeah. what do I do to become a better Shana? You know, and constantly, constantly, consciously trying to be positive because the negative mindset wasn't working out for me. So why the hell would you carry on? You know, there's a saying from Einstein. Yeah. He says, doing the same thing again and again, hoping for a different result is actually called insanity. Yeah. So, and that's what we do. We try again thinking, let's just try that same thing again and again, hoping it that, work, does it? you know, it doesn't no you need to you need to be the change you know you need to transform every aspect of your life if you want change you can't do your same daily routines prop um, you know hoping for a miracle that something will change because it won't and it, having goals even baby goals is so so important having that vision seeing yourself visualizing yourself as a better version of yourself is so so important so i do a lot of um you might want to know what i do now so again nlp practitioner i work from yeah so i work for my local authority i've got an amazing local authority who know my story you know there was no shame i moved away from the shame blame and pain and i thought listen this is me this is me and all my baggage, you know, and these are my experience and this is my, you know, credentials and qualifications. And then out of nowhere, this new position came about on the local authority for, you know, preventing domestic abuse. And that's exactly fits right into my entire lifestyle. And it's amazing to know that my past pain can be used in such a positive way. And I have such an amazing local authority who are very inclusive and, I'm I'm just probably very lucky to to have such a amazing work workplace um and in my missionary work my community work is where I built that CIC yeah um and I worked my butt off if anything to create it and yeah and it's it's making it's transforming people's lives so not only do i do domestic abuse work during the daytime at night time i do a lot of stuff with working with trauma victims just helping them with tools and techniques on what's worked for me if the same method isn't working try something else guys you know always try different things what worked for me might not work for you but absolutely it's all about having that curiosity and exploring other avenues and that's so so important because the worst thing to do is be stuck in your own cycle and your own misery and actually hurt other people around you 
yeah. because I've I've come into you know a lot of people who have been like that you know they'll say oh I've got anxiety or I've got this and that's like the the red the get out of jail free card to be abusive to other people and you can't do that you really need to take personal responsibility and it's so important what people don't understand power comes from personal responsibility you know once you take responsibility for everything that is happening to you that is happening through you even through your head the thoughts that you're thinking you know if you map it back to they call it cbt or whatever have you thoughts actions feelings it's similar to nlp as well it's all about taking personal responsibility and once you get to that stage you're so powerful you know and that is an advice i'd give to everybody the victim mentality is going is not going to get you anywhere honestly it's not going to get you nowhere transformed get to know yourself get to know yourself and you know visualize plan on what sort of person you want to become you know the best version of yourself and make that your goal yeah if you, so if you so you know when you was um in your second sort of marriage like how how did you get the the courage to think right obviously you've seen the cctv what you, what you yeah. did that did yeah when that moment clicked in your head did you just obviously get the courage to just go right i've yeah. had enough now yeah what i did jay is i had like seven years of abuse and i thought i kept on forgiving and i kept on saying this person's gonna change i kept on minimizing the abuse thinking no 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 i can control this if you just don't trigger him or if you don't get him angry you'll be fine and i was just such a sucker because of my past and you know the pain i went through i was maybe my own kindness was my worst enemy because it wasn't kindness it was actually maybe my self-worth issues because i at first i thought i was being kind but actually you know, two years on, I don't think I was being kind. I think I had serious self-worth issues. And I thought this person, even though they're abusing me, there's there's a thing called cycle of abuse. So there's like four stages when they first, they get aggressive and then they'll assault you or whatever, or they'll threaten you. And it's like a cycle. Then there's the honeymoon phase and then they'll be a bit nice to you and then you, you'll forget about it. it and so it's a down. constant yeah so it's like a cycle um and you're constantly wishing that this person is going to get better or this person's going to realize that their way is abusive but to the point that this person never changed that person never changed because they never took personal responsibility for their behavior and this is why i say transformation can only happen if you're willing to take personal responsibility for for your actions and i never I couldn't get out of the abuse because I didn't recognize it was domestic abuse. I just thought yeah. this person had issues and I didn't want to give up on them. You know, I was, yeah. On the outside, on the outside, Shana, sometimes you, you know, you, you think why, why do people put up with that? And you know, why can't they just walk away? But it's, it's a lot more complex in it. And there's a, Absolutely. Lot, there's a lot more things I mean, going on, you know, yeah, I mean, I had three children. One was in the bit um, in the middle of a GCSEs. She was a bit of a smart kid, so she was undergoing GCSEs at year ten. Who pulls the kids out during GCSE times? You know, it's madness. All she knew was that area, so I didn't want to pull her out. I had two other kids, even though they were terrified of him, um, and he was actually abusing my children too. But at the time, I thought, 
you know, they couldn't speak. So my kids had their speech issue as well. So it was lots of things. I had two little infant kids. He made me believe that I couldn't, I was a complete mess. He, he created such a codependency that I couldn't even drop my kids off at school. I wasn't allowed to go to the local shops or anything. And he made me believe. Yeah, he made me believe that I couldn't do all of that. And I let him make me believe because there has to be an element of me taking personal responsibility. But that's what happens with, you know, perpetrators. What perpetrators do, they slowly, slowly break you down. I mean, in the beginning, he wasn't like that. In the beginning, he seemed to be a decent person, you know, but, you know, in the first couple of weeks. But as soon as I realized his sinister nature, I tried to get out. How long did it take? Like he used to realize yeah. in the second marriage that this guy is obviously yeah not. so within within two weeks i knew something wasn't right but he used a lot of religion to um, control me similar to the same pattern my father used so because i was brought up in a very strict muslim sort of upbringing yeah. so he used a lot of religion and let me tell you something islam isn't the problem muslim being a muslim isn't an issue the religion isn't the issue it's the culture but the sinister underpinning of control through the culture that is the problem so he actually used religion saying you know in a way and the community what would the community think asian woman blah 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 you need to stay with me sorry was he asian as well yeah yeah uh, yeah see this yeah. is what i mean prior prior that i went out with white guys before I met him and black guys, whatever have you, I never had a problem with that coercion because in reality, I seem like a really strong lady, but the only element, my weakness came through religion because that's the same tactics my father used. So every issue, actually, you can track back to your childhood trauma or attachment issues or the relationships you had as a child. So once I understood attachment theories, and understood myself better that's when i broke free from from everything i mean no guy could ever abuse me again today because i know the signs i know the cycle i understand the psychology and i i feel like a i feel like a warrior you know right now thinking yeah bring it if, if you dare but back then honestly jay i was just such a people pleaser and i had such self-esteem issues hard to imagine from what i know how you are now like i've only known yeah. you for a few months and it you know yeah. it's very hard to imagine you, you being like that yeah yeah so it was honestly it was it was a transformation but before i met him i was I was a confident, I looked on the outside like a very confident person, yeah. but it's, you will know if somebody's in an abusive relationship just by the first signs are, is this person slowly, slowly isolating the other person? You know, once you feel isolated from your friends, from your family, these are signs that maybe, you know, there's a, per- it could be a person in your life who could be experiencing domestic abuse. Are they constantly, you know, hypervigilant when this person's around, you know, do they yeah. let you down lastminute.com? Do they change the way they dress? You know, he, he wouldn't let me out without wearing a certain, you know, wearing certain covering my body and wearing certain religious outfits. It was horrible you know and even though we broke up in the first year remember i endured seven years of abuse in the hands of this man but even though our relationship ended after my 
second child was born yeah. what he did he ended up in prison and then moved right next to me so there was a lot of monitoring there was a lot of stalking and harassment so even though we went together he was controlling me and you can't get away yeah. from it yeah there was no way of getting away from it how can you get away from it when this person has moved right next to you and then you've got to think about your house and leaving everything in your house there was there was so many things that we had to think about and also the repercussions that what is this person going to do because he didn't have a job he didn't have nothing no job no accountability used to be abusive to his family his mom didn't want him so he used to be not only actually i think his mom was relieved thinking at least he's left us alone he's abusing shana now so again families need to take personal responsibilities i mean if you can identify that you could have a brother or a family member or a friend who could be a perpetrator of domestic abuse and you can't just turn a blind eye you need to hold that person to account saying that's not right and you can get free support go out there get involved with community support group not everyone's going to judge you otherwise you could be in a position where you knew somebody who's actually now a perpetrator or you could be somebody who even killed somebody through domestic abuse because it could easily escalate into a homicide you know, how many people died through the lockdown? How many women died through the lockdown period? You know, about 34, something like that. Was it? Um, don't yeah, yeah, through the lockdown period. And, you know, and that's, that's through domestic abuse, intimate partner violence, we call it, because there are two types of domestic abuse as well. And it's understanding what, what is what, which is what. And also empowering your neighbors and your friends and if you're a mother what i've noticed about mothers you know if mothers know they know that their, their sons are out of control some of the sons and it could even be your daughter at times are out of control but because they want to preserve their own reputation you know it's they'll even cover and lie yeah and they lie for the sons or the daughters and that's not right no. we need to have a culture where everyone's looking out for everybody and we're nipping that stuff in the bud immediately before it turns into a homicide, you know? So it's really, really important that we know the signs. What are you, the signs? What you said then, Shana, there's two different types of abuse. Um, yeah. What are they? Yeah. So there's intimate partner violence. So this yeah. is the most sinister one where sometimes that person might not physically be violent to you, but the intimidation, the threat is there. So yeah. the partner might be really, really scared of this person. And the perpetrator statistically is mainly men, okay, for intimate partner violence. And throughout the COVID-19 period, what we've seen is the homicides that have occurred are, are, do stem from intimate partner violence. Most of them, we're assuming, we, do, we don't have the DHRs, the domestic abuse, um, domestic homicide reviews yet, but it's likely, you know, COVID-19 is, they say it's a trigger as well, but, you know, if you're going to be abusive, you're going to be abusive. Mm -hmm. And then there's another type called situational violence. So this is the type of violence that happens if you can't really communicate properly or there's con conflict or it stems from an argument. There's no pre planned or pre-planned med there is no there's no planning involved it yeah. just happens you know and sometimes that can lead to death as well yeah. but it's the intimate partner violence is the most sinister one that is the one that is out there the intention is to control the so when the partner when the control you know, there's partner, intent there to 
how, how did he sorry the situation how, when he's when the, that intimate one when they're like yeah. controlling the partner does the other partner end up like committing suicide or do you mean they actually yeah so so intimate partner violence lots of things can happen with intimate partner violence but we say that is slightly more sinister because that can end if their relationship ends that's the most dangerous time so yeah. if you have somebody who is a perpetrator who who is very controlling so very controlling way how strict rules in the house where you can go how you know what you wear very very strict um, and very controlling those ones are very dangerous because if you end that relationship that can turn into a you know they'll end up killing you because that control has left you know that person has left my life and to the point where you can't that can turn into a murder so it's really really dangerous intimate partner violence um the situation of violence is again it is dangerous because but the reason the intent behind that is is slightly different and it happens to people with a lower socio gradient so basically the poorer families who don't know how to communicate who might not have a job who might have other issues like you know drugs or mental health issues etc etc men men and women can be perpetrators in situation um yeah. situational couple violence so you'll see a lot of women who who are abusive as well who are perpetrators of domestic abuse but then you need to understand the type was there a lot of control involved was there a lot of coercion involved so th that's the difference between intimate partner violence they call it intimate terrorism and situational violence so these are two different types and again if we don't raise awareness if people don't understand not forget about professionals understanding yeah. if my yeah. joe blogs next door doesn't understand these important factors that they should understand then you know how can we save each other and also there's a link with antisocial behavior and domestic abuse as well there was a homicide that happened to this lady this lady got killed and the next door neighbor made so many complaints about noise but actually yeah. it wasn't noise it was this guy who was obviously abusing her and eventually he actually heard her getting murdered and thought it was another domestic so it's really really important us as neighbors that we do make it our business domestic abuse should be everybody's business yeah and we we call it out for what it is and we've, got, not we've all feel... got our like responsibility haven't we um, absolutely safeguarding is everybody's responsibility and we should see it like that that it is my business and also with men you know there are victims who who are male yeah. victims and it's, it's sad for them because they can't even bloody talk out because of the humiliation and we you find know i mean because it is don't we about yeah so it's yeah so I think domestic abuse, you know, even though statistically it is gendered, it probably I think it is gendered because the amount of women I work with is higher than men. But then there's the other argument. Well, if men can't disclose oh, it, yeah. then yeah, then that data might not be 100 percent accurate either. But we don't want to get into that debate. Um, <laughs> but, but next, just... next, my next guest after you um, on the next episode is actually a guy who runs um, Paul Lavelle Foundation, which is in honour of his best friend who died because of um, domestic violence. So, um, 
it'll link well with your episode you know next yeah. to each other yeah. so like just to get yeah. the, the viewpoint on the like like on a male point you know um, yeah. as you as you yeah, say absolutely. Uh, the story yeah for yeah and sometimes men when relationships break 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 down they end up going topping themselves and again we're trying to say it's not the end of the world and how do we help people regulate their emotions how do we even understand what a healthy relationship is how do we become just a kinder society realizing the cycle of domestic abuse you know i think that if we had more kindness and compassion for each other you know and made more connections then we'd we'd have that confidence to open up otherwise we're we're just stuck and we can make ourselves believe anything does that make sense so if you're on your own thinking something's happened but actually in reality it's not even real it's all in your head you can amplify that and create that into something bigger than it already is and it really hurts me when people take their lives because i promise you in about five years time in about five months time is it gonna matter in a year's time is it gonna matter and i bet you when you're in a better state it won't matter but the thing is we trap ourselves and we get trapped ourselves with our own thoughts to the point where we we just want the pain to stop you know and that feeling temp- of hope. temporary feeling like you say isn't it um yeah. if you lot, get the right support yeah it, a yeah. Lot of, i've seen like um the golden bridging is it california i think there's yeah. been like 30 or something people that have survived and all of them have said like as soon as they jumped they, re- they regretted it yeah you wow know? so it's only temporary in it you know yeah because they don't want to kill themselves they just want that pain to yeah stop they just want that pain and that hopelessness and what the brain does is it can actually you could be the attacker and the attacked so you could actually be attacking yourself and to the point where you feel completely hopeless and it's understanding you know the brain better i suppose and understanding your central nervous system that puts you in the fight flight freeze mode and sometimes you know things can get it's like a computer you know sometimes your computer needs a reboot does that make sense and the same with your brain but if you could just be more self-aware we don't even have to get to that stage but again we need to really understand how domestic abuse for a victim is because it's similar to psychological torture you know um and all and sometimes you're exhausted you know you're exhausted and the easy way out is to take your life i mean there's a strong correlation through domestic abuse mental you know having your mental illness and suicide is is prevalent amongst women as it is with men you know, so we really need to talk about these things and just learn tools and techniques on how to manage ourselves and manage relationships and remember not to give in to that urge or that that short feeling of hopelessness. You know, sometimes it could, I don't know, I just feel as though give it 10 more minutes and come back, you know, and yeah. then maybe your feeling will, and talk to somebody, open up, I feel so passionate and when I do speak to people who have been suicidal and who have been hopeless I mean I can relate I you know if I could say anything to my past self is just if you could always remember that you'll be okay you know it says internet is connection is unstable can you still hear me yeah I can still hear you 
is there anything I've missed? It's been a long well, day, <laughs> Jay. Um, so no, let I, me know. Fantastic, Shana. What you know, tell tell me and the listeners your story. Um, obviously, I think it'll help a lot of people. You know, yeah. Even if it's just one one person listening to this, and you know, it gives them some sort of hope and courage that they can, you know, change it their life around and get out of a certain situation and that, that that's worth you know doing the podcast in it um and I just absolutely what, what would you be advice be then um before we like round round things up like yeah. what what would you yeah. advise be to someone who's maybe you know in the situation you was um yes. you know yeah. similar to you what would you say you know if you're experiencing domestic abuse let me tell you something it is very very difficult the entire process is still going to be difficult i'm not going to lie to anybody but your safety is so important and there is professionals out there who can actually help you with that whole safety planning now i didn't have the safety planning i didn't have any of that but now that i work in that area i know there's IDVA services and lots of professionals out there i mean in saint helens we have the safety speak um IDVA service and they're great and again your own area will have their own IDVA team so it's independent domestic abuse advisors um violence advisors and again they're specialists and they're there to help you and they will be your friend you know they're not here to judge you so reach out so they can reach in if anything and if you're in a really really sinister situation like the intimate partner violence that we're talking about then it's really important that you do reach out because sometimes you could be like me going through domestic abuse thinking ah I'll be fine. I know how to manage this. Don't get him angry and you'll be fine. You know, and remember, we understand there is a cycle of abuse. There will be aspects where that person is going to be nice to you. You know, there's a thing called Stockholm syndrome, you know, trauma bonding. And it's understanding what these these terms mean. Yeah. And you could be attached to your abuser as well. And there's a better way absolutely is there's a better way but it's not going to be easy so what you need to do is you need to have your safety plan in place you need to have your connections in place you need to have that circle who who is going to look out for you in place and then through the hard work because i swear to you especially if you've got kids it's not going to be easy it's going to be the fight of your life but absolutely from 2018 for the abuse that I was experiencing and the misery I was experiencing to 2020 now within that short period of time, I've transformed my life with the correct support, you know, and it wasn't your everyday um, standard statutory services, you know, it was the small little grassroots organizations and NLP as an NLP practitioner, I became an NLP practitioner. Neuroscience really, really helped me understanding myself, mindfulness, you know, body mapping, lots of stuff. It actually helped me understand myself to a position in 2020. Um, I'm in such a better place. My kids are happy. You know, I had two boys who used to wet themselves and not be able to talk. They can talk. I can't even shut them up now, mm-hmm. you know, and they yeah. don't do that anymore. So, And they've forgotten about the abuse. I've got my 16-year-old daughter who's actually um a director of that company that i i run and she's she's bloody flourishing 
Does that make sense? And we we work our balls off. Not that we have any balls, but you know what I mean? We work <laughs> extremely hard. <laughs> we work extremely hard. And my healing came through helping others. So maybe you could be somebody else's hero. Be that hero you needed and you never had, you know? And some people say, well, I don't have a goal. I don't have a vision. This is all I know. I promise you there's something better. And once you look for it, good people will come into your life you know absolutely i've met so many people become a time to change champion you know there's lots of things and it's just knowing these people i mean for instance me and my dyslexia so i have dyslexia and that was embarrassing for me to let that get to me but again would time to change knowing new people what they did is they got me into touch with their friends and then their friends and i've got support you know and they support you i mean how can you say i'm an nlp practitioner i'm a professional and i've got these this issue but actually it was consuming me and then as soon as i told my workplace they're like we're gonna sort you out does that make sense and they did so it's having that courage and everybody has a bit of imposter syndrome so don't worry about that just be (laughs) yeah just be okay just be just be okay with your vulnerability and be perfect with your imperfections you know it's it's as simple as that be happy with who you are you know and everybody's at a different stage and never compare you know and people are so easy with comparing this person as that and i don't have this move away from that get support have a vision and yeah we're out there we're here we're ready and to support anybody with whatever issues you're def- yeah, so. definitely a shining example and you know hope that you've let you lead in the way and showing that it ca- can be done and you know recovery is is possible and you can go on to bigger and better things um and it's been amazing to to listen to your, your story shana um and i really do think it'll like help a lot of people so um yeah just really big thank you for for coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences no thanks a lot jay for having me i hope you have a podcast about your life because yeah every story helps you know (laughs) you know (laughs) i should be interviewing you jay tell us the story how did you all start so yeah absolutely always a pleasure thank you very much